Jesus said in Matthew 28 verse 19, Go therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Welcome to Go Teach All Nations, bringing you Christ's teachings through Australian and international speakers. And here is today's presenter, Tony Rikers. Welcome back to part two of our lecture this morning, Bowing to Babylon. This is part two. We've had part one. Um, hope you all heard part one, but here's part two. In part one, we discovered some interesting points about Daniel chapter three. We've been studying Daniel three and comparing Daniel three with God's end time people in the book of Revelation and what they'll go through. And in part one, we looked at 10 points, 10 similarities, we could say, comparing with Daniel 3 and the book of Revelation. Let's just review those 10 points just quickly now. The first point was in Daniel 3, there was a Babylon. In Revelation, God's end on people, there is also a Babylon. In Daniel 3, there was an image made. At the end of time, there'll be an image made as well. In Daniel 3, all were commanded to worship. At the end of time, all are commanded to worship. Four, there was a death decree. In Daniel chapter 3, of course, we find in the book of Revelation, there's a death decree for those who do not worship. Point number five was that music was used in Daniel chapter 3 to motivate the people to worship. And we discovered in Revelation, the system of Babylon was heavily involved in music as well. We find also point six that the uh, the great attack really in this whole issue was against the law of God. In the future, in uh, the book of Revelation, in God's end time people, the attack will be against what? The law of God. Point number seven, we found sadly in Daniel chapter three that the entire world, most of the world bowed and worshipped. And of course, we find at the end of time, the Bible says, and all that dwell upon the earth shall worship. Point number eight, we found that there was many Jews, sadly, on the plains of Jura that weren't prepared to make a decision and stand, and they bowed with the rest of the world. And we also found out there that at the end of time, many of God's people will end up bowing with the multitude. Point number nine was that we found a remnant was standing firm. There was a remnant on the plains of Jura, which was three of them, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, like a little remnant church, we could say. And we discovered at the end of time, there will be a remnant people of God standing firm upon God's word and not bowing with the world. And the last point we looked at in part one was point 10, persuasion. The king tried to persuade the boys. Come on, boys, let's just get on board here. Let's just, let's just worship together. Let's have harmony and unity in this empire. And, of course, at the end of time, we discovered there will be, will be persuasion used as well against the people of God to try to encourage them to worship with the rest. Now, that's where part one finished off. We now begin part two of bowing to Babylon. Now, what did Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego do when the king tried to persuade them? This now brings us to point 11 on our screen. Point 11 is cared not for their lives. When King Nebuchadnezzar tried to persuade these young men to worship, they came back with an answer that showed they cared not for their own lives. Daniel 3 verse 6 to 18. Notice these words. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. In other words, when it says there, they are not careful to answer thee in this matter, they're saying, we're not going to beat around the bush. We're just going to tell you plainly what we think. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. 
and he will deliver us out of thy hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Here they say to King Nebuchadnezzar, after he tries to persuade them, they they say, King, we're going to answer you real plain. We're not going to be beating around the bush. We will not serve thy God. We will not worship your image which you have set up. In other words, they were saying, we don't care for our lives. We don't care that there is a burning, fiery furnace. We are more interested in following and serving the God of heaven. And you know, friends, when it comes to God's end time people, God will have a people at the end of time that will be faced with a death decree, with a burning fiery furnace, as it were. But the Bible tells us that they care not for their lives. Notice Revelation 12, verse 11. And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto the death. Revelation 14, verse 13 also tells us something very interesting along the same line of thought. And I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Right, blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth. In this controversy at the end of time, there will be a death decree. There will be pressure on the people of God, but they won't love their lives unto the death. Even their lives themselves, they would rather sacrifice than break the law of God and bring shame to the God of heaven. Notice also Revelation 20 verse 4. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image. Here we find in Revelation 20, at the end of time, those who do not worship the beast and his image, there will be some of those people that will be martyred. The Bible tells us very, very clearly. When Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego said to the king, listen, king, we're not going to beat around the bush. We will not worship your God. We don't care about the fiery furnace. Were they delivered from the fiery furnace? The answer is yes. Did they know they would be delivered? No. But they were willing to go to the fiery furnace anyway. Friends, at the end of time, will all the people of God be delivered? The answer is no. Revelation 20 just told us that. But friends, we must become like Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. Whether God delivers us or not, it doesn't matter. They said to the the king, they said, King, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us. But they used the next word, they said this, But if not, if he decides not to deliver us, but if not, we will still not worship your God and bow down to your golden image. And friends, we must be the same. It doesn't matter whether we live or die in the future. We must have the attitude, but if not, whether God delivers you and I or not, friends, we must not love our lives unto the death. You know, many of God's people today, they believe that if the time would come where they were to have their life sacrificed for the cause of God, that they would be a martyr for God. If the time would come where they were told, there's the fiery furnace, worship or go into the flames, many of God's people today believe, yes, I'll just go into the flames like Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. But the question is, would they, friends? Would you and I this morning be willing to sacrifice our life for God if he should call for our lives? In the history of this world, there's been thousands upon thousands of Christians that have been martyred. Rather than capitulate their faith, they've been martyred and given up their life. 
And many of God's people today, friends, believe, yes, I'll give my life for God if he calls for my life. But my friend this morning, if you cannot give up something simple in your life for God now, don't think you're going to martyr your life for him in the future. You see, friends, many of God's people today won't give up anything for God. God calls through his word. He calls through the spirit of prophecy. He calls to reform their lives, to change their life in diet, dress, adornment, lifestyle. And they won't give up one little thing for God. Now, well, friends, don't think you're going to give up your life in the future. You will not die for him as a martyr in the future. If you will not die for him today, right now, and give up self. You see, friends, martyrdom is the ultimate sacrifice for the Lord. Most of God's people will not give God anything of their time, their finances, or their lifestyle, and yet they expect to be like Daniel's friends here, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and say, but if not, we'll go into the fiery furnace. Friends, we must be denying our lives today. You see, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they had already given everything else to Jesus Christ. They had laid everything on the altar of sacrifice. And when God came along and said, will you give your life as well? They said, we'll give you the ultimate sacrifice. We'll give our lives. You see, friends, they were more concerned about the glory of God than what they were concerned about their own physical well-being. And, you know, friends, I believe today God is raising up a people. He's raising up a people that are denying self today that if he should call for their life in the future... They can say to the world as Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, if God doesn't deliver us, but if not, we will still not worship thy gods and bow down to thy image. We will go into the fire and give up our life. We would rather go to the fires of martyrdom than find ourselves disobeying the God that we love and that we serve. Now, friends, when the boys rejected their second chance, when the king gave them a second chance and they rejected that, he was not happy. King Nebuchadnezzar wasn't happy at all. Point 12, we find this. Nebuchadnezzar, filled with wrath, his visage was changed. Notice what the Bible tells us now as the story continues to unfold in Daniel chapter 3, verse 19. It says, Then was Nebuchadnezzar full of fury. And the form of his visage was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Here we find, they say to the king, we're not going to worship your God. We don't care whether we go to the fiery furnace. And he just changed. His countenance changed. His attitude changed. He flew into a a frenzy. And the Bible says that the form of his visage was changed. What does that mean? In four Bible commentary, page 1169, it says satanic attributes made his countenance appear as the countenance of a demon. Here we find the, the, uh, the uh, physical appearance of, of King Nebuchadnezzar changes against Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. His visage was changed and we are told he was changed into the countenance of a demon because it was the demons that were controlling him. He flew into a frenzy. Here's the little remnant people of God, three of them standing against the greatest nation on the world, Babylon. And they've just upset the king, haven't they? They have just upset the king. And Satan, through this king, was wroth against these three young men. And friends, God's people at the end of time will find themselves in a very similar situation. Point 12 
for the end time people of God is this. The dragon is wroth with the remnant. Here on the plains of Jura, there was a remnant, the dragon working through Nebuchadnezzar is wroth against them. His face changes into the face of a demon. But Revelation 12 verse 17 tells us the people of God face the same pressure at the end. Revelation 12 verse 17, the Bible reads, And the dragon was wroth with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Friends, Satan is wroth with this end time church, with this remnant, those who stand in his way. Do we see in our church today that Satan is wroth with this church? Of course we do. Do we have pressures in the people of God, amongst the people of God today? Absolutely, friends. We do see that. And this is good. The reason why it is good, because it's telling us that we are the remnant people of God. We should expect the pressure. We should expect the wrath of the dragon against us if we are the remnant. But friends, we haven't seen anything yet when it comes to the wrath of the dragon. Eventually, it's going to get so bad that the entire world will be pushed and forced to be against us. Notice this statement here in Testimonies to Ministers, page 37. The whole world is to be stirred with enmity against Seventh-day Adventists because they will not yield homage to the papacy by honoring Sunday. Eventually, friends, the entire world will be against the people of God. Their visage will be changed against us simply because we will not bow down and worship the image that has been set up. And it's at this time, friends, at this time, we shall see the fiery trials come on us as it did upon the plains of Jura for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And this brings us now to our next point, point 13. It's a very interesting point. I've entitled this point, Walk in the Fire and Purified. Daniel chapter 3, verses 19 to 25 now gives us a picture of what happens. The visage of Nebuchadnezzar is marred. He, his countenance is like a demon. He flies into a frenzy. We pick up our story here in verse 19. And it goes on and says, Therefore he spake and commanded that they should heat the furnace one seven times more than it was one to be heated. He said, heat that furnace up and heat it up seven times hotter than it should be. We're going to cook these boys. goes on. And he commanded the most mighty men that were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego and to cast them into the burning fiery furnace. These men were, were bound in their coats, their hosen and their hats and their other garments and were cast into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Therefore, because the king's commandment was urgent and the furnace exceeding hot, the flame of the fire slew those men that took up Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, fell down bound into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Here we find the, the strongest men in the army of Nebuchadnezzar. They bind them in their coats and their hosens and their other garments. They bound these guys up in ropes. They drag them off to the fiery furnace as they throw them into the fiery furnace. The heat is so intense that these strong men in the army of Nebuchadnezzar are destroyed. It goes on. Then Nebuchadnezzar, the king, was astonished and rose up in haste and spake and said unto his counselors, Did not we cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said unto the king, True, O king. He answered and said, Lo, I see four men loose, 
walking in the midst of the fire and they have no hurt and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Here we see this story. This is, an, this is an amazing point, I think, this point here. The king in his rage, he says, heat the furnace seven times hotter. Get the strong men, bind them up, throw them in. He throws them into the furnace. The strong men are destroyed by the heat. And as the king watches, he sees all of a sudden that there's four men walking in the midst of the fiery furnace. They were walking, my friends, in the fire of affliction. These three men were thrown into the fiery furnace, bound with the cords of Babylon. And they were, they were thrown into the fires, I would say, the fires of affliction. You see, friends, this fire was a purifying process to test their faith. It was to purify them. It was to burn off the cords that held them to Babylon and to this world. And friends, God's end time people will go through a walk in the fire and become purified. Notice Daniel chapter 12, verse 9 and 10. This is talking about the end time people of God, not the people of God in Daniel's day. It says this, Daniel 12, verses 9 and 10. And he said, Go thy way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed till the time of the end. Many shall be purified and made white and tried. He says, shut up the book, Daniel. You finished the book. This is the last chapter of Daniel. Seal it to the time of the end. And at the time of the end, many shall be, what? Purified and made white and tried. And friends, this point of walking in the fire is two parts to this point. The first part is this. The first part is the trials, the fiery trials of life that are designed by God to purify us. God is in the business of purifying his people. And the fires of affliction are what he often uses in our lives. The Bible says that God is going to refine his people before the second coming. Notice Malachi chapter 3 verses 2 and 3. It says, But who may abide the day of his coming? And who shall stand when he appeareth? For he is like a refiner's fire, and like fuller's soap. And he shall sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. And he shall purify the sons of Levi, and purge them as gold and silver, that they may offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. Here we find, before Jesus comes back the second time, the Bible tells us that God is like a refining fire. He's going to purify his children. This is gold and silver is is purified in the furnace. God is going to purify our lives. And you notice there in Daniel chapter 3, verse 19, the Bible says that Nebuchadnezzar said, Heat the furnace. How many times hotter did he say? He said, Heat the furnace seven times hotter. Now, why did Nebuchadnezzar say, Heat the furnace seven times hotter? I believe it was a symbolic point here. There is a symbolic point here. You see, in the book of Revelation, the number seven is a symbolic number of completeness. All the way through the book of Revelation, we discover there is seven, 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 all the way through. On the screen here, you'll notice a few of those points. There's seven candlesticks, seven stars, seven churches, seven trumpets, seven seals, seven plagues, seven spirits, seven eyes, seven kings, seven heads, seven mountains, seven crowns, seven thunders, seven golden vials, seven horns, seven angels. All the way through the book of Revelation, we find this number seven keeps coming up. And that number seven is perfection. And back in Daniel chapter three, the king heats up the fire seven times hotter than it should have been heated. 
And this represents, friends, the fire, the trials and the fires of affliction and the fires of perfection. Can you imagine what these three young worthies on the plains of Jura thought when they heard that? When they heard, when they heard King Nebuchadnezzar go into a frenzy, heated up seven times hotter, they probably thought to themselves and may have said amongst themselves, we're in big time trouble. We are in big time trouble. When those great big Romans, uh, big uh, Babylonian soldiers grabbed a hold of them, bound them up in their coats and their hosen and in their, their garments and dragged them off to the fiery furnace, they probably thought, we're in trouble. You know, friends, each one of us find ourselves often like that, don't we? We often find ourselves facing the, the, uh, the fires of affliction, the, fl- the fires of trials in our life. How often we feel in our own life sometimes, we, like the devil gets a hold of us and he binds us all off, up, and he marches us off, and we see the fires of affliction coming. The furnace is heated seven times hotter, and we think, oh, Lord, help us. And we find ourselves not wanting to go into the fires of affliction, do we? Others have asked the question through history. They've asked that question, Lord, what is going on in my life? Maybe you've asked that question yourself, friends, as you've been marched off to the fires of affliction and you can't work out, Lord, why am I going into the fire? Why am I so bound up in the cords of Babylon? Back in the early Christian church, many were asking the same question. They were saying, why are we going through so much trial, hardship and suffering? And they asked Peter, and Peter wrote to them one day and told them what he thought of the subject. In 1 Peter 4, verse 12 to 13, he said, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice, inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. The church in Peter's time was going through trials, afflictions, terrible hardships. They couldn't work out why. He says says to his people there, he says, don't think it's something strange that you're going through. The fiery trials are there to try you. It's not something strange. It's designed to take place in your life. But what really is the purpose of trials in our life? You know, as Christians, we love the Lord and we follow Jesus Christ. Couldn't he make it a bit easier for us? Couldn't we have an easy road to follow Job gives us the answer in Job chapter 23, verse 10. He says, But he knoweth the way that I take. When he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. You know, friends, God knows the way that you and I take, and often that way is the wrong way, isn't that right? But when he's tried us, when he puts us through the fires of affliction, I shall come forth as gold. You know, friends, this morning God wants to purify us. He wants to cleanse us from sin. He wants to develop our character. He wants to make us more and more like Jesus Christ, but without the fires of affliction going through our life, it cannot take place. Romans chapter 5, verses 3 and 4 says this, And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope. Here we find the Apostle Paul saying, We glory in tribulation. And you're talking about a man that has had himself stoned and whipped and beaten and persecuted from one end of the earth to the other. But he says we glory in tribulation. Why? Because that tribulation is working what? Patience. You know, friends, do you and I need patience in our lives today? And that patience is working experience. 
And that experience is working hope. You know, friends, when we take Jesus Christ into our life, he's got a work to do in our lives, hasn't he? He wants to purify our characters and our hearts. He wants to consume the earthliness. He wants to burn off the cords of Babylon. Yeah, the Bible tells us that we're all like rough stones that are taken out of the quarry. And God wants to make us as rough stones into a stone that fits into his temple. He has to hew us. He has to square us. He has to chip off all the rough corners and the rough edges. He has to polish us. And sometimes this polishing and chipping and hewing and uh, squaring process is a painful process. But that process must take place so that you and I can reflect the character and the image of God. That you and I can have patience. And that that patience can have experience. And that the experience can have hope. And that we can understand how God works in our life. You know, there's an old saying. The old saying goes like this. It says, smooth sailors, uh, sorry, smooth seas don't make skillful sailors. Isn't that true? Smooth seas, friends, don't make skillful sailors. And the smooth seas of life don't make skillful Christians. It doesn't produce a Christian with faith and courage and skill because when the storm does come, we're not used to it. And friends, the only way that God can work with us to teach us and to guide us and to purify our lives is through the fires of affliction. Now, this statement here, Four Testimonies, page 85 to 86, summarizes the whole point. Notice what it says here. It says, the purification of the people of God cannot be accomplished without their suffering. You know, friends, do you and I want to be pure this morning? Do you and I want to put up our hand this morning and say, I want to be pure in the eyes of God? I hope you all do. But you'll notice this statement on the screen says, the purification of the people of God cannot be accomplished without their suffering. You see, friends, you and I want the purification, but we don't want the suffering, do we? It can't be accomplished without that. It goes on, God permits the fires of affliction to consume the dross, to separate the worthless from the valuable, that the pure metal may shine forth. He passes us from one fire to another, testing our true worth. You know, friends, do you find that in your life? You get passed from one fire to another? You get past one trial, you think, oh, that was good, that, that trial's passed, and God passes you through another trial. To continue purifying our lives. It goes on and says, Jesus watches the test. He knows what is needed to purify the precious metal, that it may reflect the radiance of his divine love. God brings men over the ground again and again, increasing the pressure until perfect humility and a transformation of character bring them into harmony with Christ and the spirit of heaven, and they are victors over themselves. He passes us, friends, from one fire to the other. He brings us over the same ground again and again until we get the victory over ourselves. Friends, we go through those fires of affliction because of God's love for us, and he wants to prepare us for a place in his kingdom. And you may feel this morning, well, I've got some trials and fires of affliction in my life. You know, in Amos chapter 5, verse 19, it talks about a man. He meets a lion. As he runs from the lion, he runs into a bear. He runs from the bear. He runs into his house, shuts the door, puts up his hand on the, on the post of his door, and the serpent bites him. And often our life can be that way, friends. We run from the lion. We meet the bear. Run from the bear, and we meet the serpent. 
But God is designing these trials in our lives to help us with the weakness of our character. And these trials aren't always big trials that come to our life. They can be just little things in our life. And the trials are to teach what? What did Paul say? To teach us patience. You know, as a, uh, as a human being that I am, patience isn't one of my big points. And God puts us through little trials in our lives at times to try and teach us patience. You know, I had an experience a couple of years ago, just a silly little illustration here to uh, illustrate the point. I was out in my yard one day and I was hosing the garden. I was just minding my own business, hosing the garden. And as I'm standing there hosing the, hosing the garden, the veranda of our house is next to me here. And as I'm hosing the garden, out of nowhere, a rotten apple hits me in the side of the head. Almost knocked me out. I was, I was so stunned. I thought, what on earth was that? And as I looked around, this apple was splattered all over the ground. Half of it was over the side of my face. And I look over to the veranda, and there is my son standing on the veranda, and he's chuckling. And I'm thinking, what's going on here? He's just thrown this apple, hit me in the side of the head, and he thinks it's funny. And you know, sometimes, friends, things happen and people hurt themselves or something, and it looks almost comical, doesn't it? And you try not to laugh. I thought, what's going on here? My first reaction was to do what? to be not patient, to be very impatient. And my son come running over and he said, oh, look, Dad, I'm, I'm sorry that I'm laughing, but uh, I meant to throw the apple over the fence like this, but I let go too late and I threw it like that and it went across and it hit you in the side of the head. And I had all this apple in my ear, all this rotten apple splattered all over my face into my ear. Why did that take place? A little trial. Why didn't the angel just deflect the apple? God was watching the test, wasn't he? God said, okay, today this test is going to be a rotten apple in the side of his head from his son, and we'll see how he handles his patience issue. I can thank the Lord that particular day. I was victorious. I was very patient. I thought, I'm not going to get angry. I'm not going to get frustrated. These little things take place in our life. And friends, you may be having little things in your life day by day. They are designed by God. We're not just talking about major trials that come to us here. Little things day by day, little annoyances that take place are designed by God. And God brings us over the ground time and time again, putting more and more pressure until he can conform us into his image. This is what God wants for our life today. And all this, friends, develops character in our life. The fiery trials we go through, friends, are God's way of burning away the cords of Babylon, burning away the things of this world that tie us to this world, burning away the sins of our life. And all that burnt in that fiery furnace, and I love this point, when those three young men were thrown into the fiery furnace, all that was burnt, friends, was the cords of Babylon. And how often, friends, you and I are bound to this world by the cords of Babylon. And in mercy, Jesus throws us, he allows us to be thrown into the fires of affliction because he wants those cords to be burned off. Amen? He wants those cords to be taken out of our life. He wants us to have the freedom to follow him and prepare for a place in eternity. And friends, you may have trials going through your life right now today. You may have those trials going through your life, small or large. But friends, we have to ask ourselves a question at this point. Does Jesus know your trial? He absolutely does. He knows exactly what you're going through. Did Jesus know that those three young men were cast into the fiery furnace? He did. He knew exactly where they were. What did Jesus do when those young men were going through that trial in the fiery furnace? Friends, this is a beautiful point 
The point is God doesn't leave us in our affliction. In the fiery trials of the, of, uh, the plains of Jura there, when those young men were thrown into the fiery furnace, Jesus himself went into the furnace with them. Friends, don't think God has ever forsaken you in the hardships and the battles of your life. Whatever trial you are going through, friends, Jesus Christ is going through that trial with you. And the trials of the last days, friends, will be heated seven times hotter. But Jesus says, I will never leave thee, nor will I forsake thee. Don't ever forget, friends, that Jesus Christ goes through those trials with us. The second part of this, uh, of walking in the fire and being purified is this. When Jesus comes, we are going to literally walk in the fire at the second coming of Christ. Second Peter 3 verse 10 says, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Friends, when Jesus Christ comes a second time, the elements of this earth are going to be burnt up. And you and I are going to find ourselves, if we are faithful and are alive at that time, just like Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. We are going to walk in the flames at this time. Notice this statement from Upward Look 261. It tells us about this and it draws a comparison of, of uh, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego and ourselves at the end of time. Notice what it says. In the day of his coming, the last great trumpet is heard. And there is a terrible shaking of earth and heaven. The whole earth, from the loftiest mountain to the deepest mines, will hear. Everything will be penetrated by fire. All the righteous are untouched by the flames. They can walk through the flames as Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego walked in the midst of the furnace, heated seven times hotter than it was wont to be heated. The Hebrew worthies could not be consumed because the form of the fourth, the Son of God, was with them. So in the day of the coming of the Lord, smoke and flame will be powerless to harm the righteous. Those who are united with the Lord will escape unscathed. Earthquakes, hurricanes, flame and flood cannot injure those who are prepared to meet their Saviour in peace. And friends, this now brings us to point number 14. Point number 14 is a simple point. They are delivered by Christ. Daniel 3 verse 25, the Bible says, He answered and said, Lo, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire, and they have no hurt, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Here we find Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego in the fires of that furnace were delivered by who? Jesus Christ. At the end of time, friends, the people of God will be delivered by who? Jesus Christ as well. Notice Matthew 24, verses 30 to 31. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to another. God will come, God will deliver, Christ will deliver his people, the same as he delivered Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego in that fiery furnace. Isaiah 25 verse 9 says, And it shall be said in that day, Lo, this is our God, we have waited for him, and he will save us. You know, friends, we are going to be delivered. This is one of the most beautiful pictures in the Bible. 
We are going to be walking in the fire at the second coming of Christ as the worthies were in that fiery furnace and we shall be delivered by Jesus Christ. Now, how did the king, friends, this is a good question, how did the king know it was Jesus Christ? He looked at the furnace and said, I see four men walking around there and the form of the fourth is like who? The Son of God, he said. How did he know it was the Son of God? For Bible commentary, page 1169 tells us, How did Nebuchadnezzar know that the form of the fourth was like the Son of God? He had heard of the Son of God from the Hebrew captives that were in his kingdom. They had brought the knowledge of the living God who rules all things. And this brings us, friends, to our 15th, our second last point. The 15th point is witness for truth and enlighten the world. As a result of these, these uh, three young men standing as a remnant for God's law and for God's truth, God was able to use them as a witness for the truth and to enlighten the entire world. Notice Daniel chapter 3 verse 28 and 29. Then Nebuchadnezzar, this is after now, I'll go back a bit here. This is after they've been brought out of the fiery furnace. He brings them back out of the fiery furnace. Now we pick up our story here in Daniel 3, verse 28 and 29. Then Nebuchadnezzar spake and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants that trusted in him and have changed the king's word and yielded their bodies that they might not serve nor worship any god except their own god. Therefore I make a decree that every, notice the words, that every people, nation and language which speak anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego shall be cut in pieces and their houses shall be made a dunghill because there is no other God that can deliver after this sort. Here we find as a result of their witness and as they stand for the truth, these three young men, as a result, this message goes, as Nebuchadnezzar said, to every nation, kindred, and language. The whole world heard about the God of heaven and they were commanded by Nebuchadnezzar not to say anything against the God of heaven. But friends, we find also with God's last day end time people, they will also witness for the truth and enlighten the world with the three angels' messages. Revelation 14 verse 6 says, And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth and to every nation and kindred and tongue and people. We're going to find here, friends, that this message will go to the world, every nation, every kindred, every tongue, every people, the people of God, as small as they are, as a remnant as they are, the message will go to the entire world. Matthew 24 verse 14 says, And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. Friends, the false gods of Babylon will be exposed, as it was back in the days of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And it's very interesting, if you look back at the plains of Jura, there was three men, three young men, standing for truth, giving a message to the world. At the end of time, there was three angels presenting the truth, and giving a message to the entire world. Same similarity there that will take place at the end of time. And what was the end result of the witness of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel, of course, as well, on King Nebuchadnezzar? This brings us to our last point. Nebuchadnezzar converted. 
as a result of the witness of these men, King Nebuchadnezzar himself became a converted man. For Bible commentary, page 1170 tells us this. King Nebuchadnezzar, before whom Daniel so often honored the name of God, was finally thoroughly converted and learned to praise and extol and honor the King of Heaven. And friends, we find here that at the end of time as well, there will be many great men that will be converted as well. By the witness of the three angels' messages, the remnant people of God at the end of time, standing firm for truth, many in our world will be converted by that. Isaiah chapter 60 verse 1 brings to view the picture of the last days and what will take place. It says, Arise, shine, for thy light is come. And the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and gross darkness the people. But the Lord shall arise upon thee, and his glory shall be seen upon thee. Verse 3. And the Gentiles shall come to thy light, and kings to the brightness of thy rising. Lift up thine eyes round about, and see, all they gather themselves together. They shall come to thee. Thy sons shall come from afar. And thy daughters shall be nursed at thy side. Then shalt thou see and flow together, and thine heart shall fear and be enlarged, because the abundance of the sea shall be converted unto thee, and the forces of the Gentiles shall come unto thee. Friends, this will be the harvest by the people of God at the end. Kings will come to the brightness of thy rising. The abundance of the sea of people, multitudes, nations and languages and tongues will be converted unto thee. As a result, friends, many great people in this world will receive the message just like King Nebuchadnezzar did many years ago. Great Controversy, page 610 to 611 tells us, While many of our rulers are active agents of Satan, God also has his agents among the leading men of the nation. When the final warning shall be given, it will arrest the attention of these leading men through whom the Lord is now working, and some of them will accept it and will stand with the people of God through the time of trouble. Friends, just like it was back in the days of the apostles, Saul the persecutor, who became Paul the greatest convert, will take place in our day. Many of the worst persecutors against Christianity and against the church of God will be converted and become the greatest advocates of the truths of these last days. But friends, as we close this morning, what is the great issue in this whole picture. The issue, friends, is worship. The issue eventually will come down to the point of who will you and I worship? The world is going to push us into a corner. Revelation is telling us this morning that the world is going to push the remnant of God to worship the image. And the question we've got to ask ourselves this morning, the big question we need to think about, is how are you and I going to fare in that day? Will you and I, as God's people today, stand erect for truth? Or will you and I just bow with the multitude? You know, friends, the reason why Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stood for truth, and if you forget this whole lecture, I want you to remember this point. The reason why they stood, it wasn't the decision of the moment. It was the habitual working of their lives to follow and obey God. It was the habitual responding to the Holy Spirit of God in their life that brought them to the point when they were commanded to worship. They followed the same principle they always did to follow God rather than follow man. 
They determined in their hearts way back at the beginning of their captivity to follow God no matter what came in their life. They stood because they made a connection to God today so that in the future they could stand when the trials got real hot. And friends, you are shaping your destiny this morning, every one of us are, by the decisions we make right now today. As the picture on the screen tells us, there is a choice ahead, isn't there? There is a major choice that's going to come to each one of us. And that choice will be whether we serve God or whether we serve the gods of this world. And the preparation you make today, friends, will determine whether you follow the multitude or whether you stand with the remnant. Today we must put away the things that are binding us to, to uh, Babylon. The music, the imagery, the dress, the diet, the world of Babylon. Self must be denied today. So we can deny self in the future. Friends, as never before, we are coming to that day. The image is being set up. The command will soon go forward to worship. And I want to encourage you this morning, friends, to make that preparation now. Commit your life to Jesus Christ. Put away the things of Babylon from your homes and your lives today. That you can be like Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. That you can walk in the fire of the second coming of Christ when he comes to take his people home. May God bless each one of you and keep you until that day is my prayer this morning. This message was made available by Cornerstone Ministries. For more resources like this, visit cornerstoneshop.com.au.
Worship You from 3ABN's album Give Him Glory. Coming up next, written down in stone from 3ABN's album Pillars of Our Faith, Volume 1. The law is just and the law is right, and it's written by God in stone. The law is love and the law is light, and it's written by God in I will follow His commandments I'll abide in Him alone For His law is my delight It's written down in stone Oh, it's written down in stone Bye. 
Listen to Bill Ackland as he reads from his book, Talking with God. Today's prayer is entitled, I Worship You, O Lord. And the text to match is from 1 Chronicles 16, 29. Ascribe glory to the Lord that is due to Him, and bring an offering as we worship Him. I worship the Lord in His beautiful holiness. And the opening thought For those fortunate to bear the name Christian and to have worshipped the great God of the universe, Father, Son and Holy Spirit, for a few or many years, they know the deep spiritual joy that is theirs in the worship experience, in a building or in God's great outdoors. The wonder is still the same. Let us pray now. Today, dear Father God, as we worship you in this place, I am glad that at other times and in other places, I can also just as truly worship you. While worship with others who share the same faith in the only true God is an uplifting and spiritually rewarding experience, my spirit soars to meet your spirit 
in the great cathedral of nature that is the work of your hand and not of man's. The more remote, silent and grand are the mountains, forests and fields that we can journey to, the more we are reminded, Lord, that these are of your making. You built this place, your vast outdoor room. You invited us to come apart to worship you, to leave the cares and anxieties of the week, to refresh our bodies and our spirits, to clear our minds and raise our hearts in a place in which we really do feel ever close to you. Those whose front door, as it were, opens to let the beauty of creation in are, I believe, the most favoured. Forgiven as we are to forgetting and becoming all too familiar with that which we should always hold in awe, I pray that the beautiful things of God that you made, then wrapped in ribbons of colour as a present from your heart to ours, will always be held as very special. The wonderful thing about your gifts, dear Father, is that they never wear out. The sun rises and sunsets, the mountains, lakes, flowers, trees, are here to prompt us to worship you from one day to the next, from one year to another, and from one generation to another yet unborn. So while the houses of worship that we build in your name sooner or later crumble about us, the forest churches, the mountain cathedrals, appear to be everlasting. These never seem to wear with the passage of time, but become more beautiful with decorations of snow, cloud or rainbow. So today, dear Father, I thank you for our usual place of worship, but especially for those all too rare times when in the great outdoors our hearts can't help singing in the high and wide church of your making. Most of all, though, no matter where we are, you must and will be the focus of all we desire and do. For it is you, dear Lord, whom we worship in heart and mind and soul. In your holy name. Amen. To obtain your copy of Talking with God, written by Bill Ackland, give us a call in Australia on 02 4973 3456 or send an email to radio at 3abnaustralia.org.au. This program has been brought to you by 3ABN Australia Radio.